big issue in the preaching ministry of Jesus is the kingdom of God. Wherever he went, he preached, he taught the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, every day, everywhere he went, constantly, it was about the kingdom of God. He is about the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? It's the realm of those who are under the rule of God because they have believed and repented, been saved. That's what his message was all about. It's about the kingdom. And from a human perspective, after all this time now of close to three years of ministry, as we march through Luke, there was really nothing that looked kingly about him. Uh, his credentials, he didn't really have any. He didn't come from any nobility. He didn't have the connections with the religious elite, for sure. And hadn't been educated like they had. He had not even written a book. And here we are seeing him preach and teach like nobody had ever done on this earth. And he convinced certain people that he was the one, the expected one, the Messiah. But along with that goes the inauguration of the kingdom. Okay, we've been following him for three years. When's this going to happen? I don't see it yet. He's supposed to overthrow the Roman rule. Hadn't happened. He's not even talking about that. And now, as time goes on, the leaders are lining up even more and more against his side. And uh, he is not coming through with what a lot of people really expected. In fact, a lot of people are becoming extremely hostile to Christ. Uh, He's not going to try to win them over. Making them feel good. Matter of fact, we see him often call them what? Hypocrites. Well, you kind of have to put yourself in the place of the disciples. That's the twelve and other disciples, followers, learners, that were going all over the countryside, villages and little towns. And uh, what are they thinking? Well, what he says is amazing. What he's doing is amazing. The miracles. And it's like some of them are starting to grow discouraged because he should be accepted by the religious elite. And they're out to get him. So, he tells two parables. In spite of how small and how insignificant they seemed at the beginning, these parables are saying the gospel will prevail. There will be victory. There will be triumph. There's conflict. And uh, I think it's overwhelming. If you were following him, you're going, okay, what's this going to be? I don't see anything happening here. You ever been there? Let's face it. Come on. It seems like the other side is winning. Sometimes we think that, don't we? 
we know better. But you look at the other side and you go, you know, this is an evil world. It's a, it's a world uh, to uh, say it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. There isn't a single Christian nation. This hasn't overtaken the whole world. There isn't even a nation. There's not even a single Christian state for that matter. Evil people abound. Godly people are in the minority. Matter of fact, even those godly people can sometimes fall into serious sin. So if we look at ourselves individually, we look at our small church, what have we accomplished for the Lord? What have we accomplished that contributes to the kingdom of God? Seems so insignificant. You know, just a few, just a few that have been transformed as I think about my ministry down through the many years now associated uh, with this particular ministry, starting with that little Monday night Bible study that keeps on going. It's still hanging on. Throughout all those years, how few that have been transformed through the years of my ministry. It's pretty discouraging. I have my times. Pour out my heart to the Lord and Lord, what? Why? What why am I not seeing things? And I begin to wonder why do I why do I do what I do? Maybe I'm not, I'm not I shouldn't even be involved in this. You think those kind of things. But there are two parables in this text that are here to encourage us all. They're here to encourage us. They were here to encourage the disciples. That's why, you know, I wondered why. After He just healed this woman, and of course He got ripped to shreds by this synagogue official, and Jesus comes right back and rips them to shreds to where they're humiliated. And then He tells people that, hey, tell you something. And this is where he goes into the kingdom and what it's really about. And he uses these very familiar objects of mustard seed and leaven, which they dealt with every day. They knew exactly what these were as he did that. And he's doing it to encourage them. Because, boy, when it started out, it didn't look like anything. And they were all beginning to wonder, Okay, what he says, what he does is amazing. There's nothing happening. I don't see anything. The simple truth is this. Jesus Christ is going to win. If you're a Christian, you are on the winning side. You're guaranteed 100%, even more than you know that you're going to step out of this building after a while and go home. You know fully that this kingdom is going to happen and you're going to win. Now what Jesus does, He illustrates this by using these parables, this kingdom thing that is really, really, uh, it's staggering what it really means. We're just on the precipice of what the kingdom is and what Jesus was preaching about. But yet, He makes it so simple. 
uses two little objects to show them that the character of the kingdom of God is like this. It looks like this. The mustard seed, the leaven, they help us to grasp how the kingdom operates. So let's go into the text. What's the kingdom like? That's our title today. That's our question. Look at verse 18. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took threw into his own garden. It grew. It became a tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. Two points today. The mustard seed, the leaven. Basically saying the same thing, but externally and inwardly is what he's really getting at. So there's victory when we sow the gospel. For some reason, Jesus thinks it's very important to insert this in here now, or at least Luke the writer inserts this at this point. And you know, and every week that I study, I go, okay, why is this here after where we just been and where we're going? And it all makes sense. Word of God is amazing. You just kind of dig into it and you go, okay, I'm getting an idea. Because I was scratching my head wondering, okay, why is this here? Well, my version starts off with so in verse 18. Uh, you might have a version that says, therefore. Does the KJV say therefore? Okay, got a winner. Therefore. All right. ESV, right? says it also. So, might says so in the NAS, but I will tell you it means the same thing. What is the therefore therefore? Well, as we always say, the immediate context is how we read God's Word. He had just done an amazing miracle for that woman who was all bent over for 18 years. She's walking around like this her head bent over. She is a hunchback, as they would call that today. Um, he healed her after 18 years of that in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he had just been ripped by the synagogue officials saying, we don't do that on the Sabbath. We can do it six days a week, but not here on the Sabbath. Huh? Of course, Jesus comes back with, you take care of your animals on the Sabbath. How much more important are people? Right? And, uh, you know, you got people rejoicing over what He's saying. They're going, that's right. That's right. You know, they're praising God because of this woman got healed immediately. So, therefore, he says, don't be discouraged because of this guy and the rest of the religious leaders. That's kind of the idea here. I want to encourage you. Now, people are opposing him. Don't be discouraged. Uh, 
easy to get discouraged in this world. Think, first of all, what is the Word of God about and where is it heading? Well, you, if you're a Christian, you're in the kingdom right now. There's a kingdom to come. It's called the already and the not yet. You're already in the kingdom, but glory is going to come. You'll be glorified and living in glory in the presence of Jesus Christ and all the saints and the angels. But he's talking about now. Matter of fact, he you know the, the kingdom of God was present amongst them. The kingdom of God is in your midst. So he uses this mustard seed thing. What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it? And I'm sure that there's probably a mustard seed tree <laughs> or a, a, a big shrub. Uh, anywhere from 12, 15 feet high. It's probably pretty big at that time because he's he's pointing at it. And they see those quite frequently. They know that it started from a little bitty seed. Turns into so big that birds can come there and live there to make their dwelling there, to make their nest there. Uh, there are some people say, well, you know, see... The Bible has errors in it because it says that uh, you know some you know in another text I think it's uh, Matthew thirteen thirty two it became the greatest of the garden plants. Well, a lot of people would say no, that wasn't the smallest seed, and it's not the greatest biggest tree. See, that's that's ridiculous. Jesus, I don't know better than that. So therefore, that's not true. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that it is true, and that is the smallest seed, and it's very, 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 very tiny for garden plants and for uh, anything that would be growing as far as vegetables and greens and not necessarily wild plants, but where you would plant and make something for food or for beauty and in your garden and such. And that's the idea. And, and he, the whole point is smallness here. you know. And everybody knows that the mustard seed is very small. And some of you have probably seen a mustard seed before. Maybe some little plastic pouch because you could lose it real easy. It's real tiny. The idea is it's this small and it grows into such a large shrub that birds live there. We have shrubs that are not necessarily trees, but they're big shrubs that are uh, quite a bit taller than me. I have to get on a ladder to go like this to trim it down a little bit. I guess that that could be be as high as 10 feet hanging over our fence. And it's pretty large. Probably a little seed that would have started to to do that, but this is like the smallest. And that's what's amazing. He says you can take something so small and it could be so big. We'll get the idea of this, right? Well, what I'm going to do is try to get some insight here for all of us by using C.H. Spurgeon. How many have heard of C.H. Spurgeon? Sometimes known as the prince of the preachers of the 1800s. Has some great insights. And so we'll kind of use him as word pictures here. I'll just kind of 
read some things here if that's okay. The parable assumes that the man has a garden, right? Okay. And he desired to get a crop out of this garden. Sadly, many professing Christians go through life without any concept that the Lord has given them a corner of His field to sow and produce a crop for Him. Spurgeon says, everybody has a little corner of where you're to grow a crop. Now, Rebecca was talking about a farmer this morning. So you know about uh, the agrarian aspect. And so then I have to... And, and, and Zach... And then I, you know, I have to think of Stan, Sue, you know, and uh, do we have any other farmers? We have people that maybe uh, play around with a little bit, maybe doing tomatoes and such. But uh, we have a little bit of the field that God has given us, Spurgeon says. He's the landowner, and we owe him an account of what he's given us. As, as Christians. So your garden consists of people that you have contact with, that you are to influence. Doesn't mean you're going to change their thinking or their way of living, but you are an influence. And of course, when we get into the 11 verse, we'll see that that's what that is dealing with there. But you should desire that God would use you in your field, in where you have, to produce a harvest for Him. Do you want to produce a harvest for God? You know, that is something that, that He's given us. He's We're to produce a crop and it's about sowing the seed of the Gospel. Sowing the seed of the Gospel. This is what Jesus is bringing forth here. The man threw the seed into his garden. And until he did that, that seed did not accomplish anything, did it? It, Nothing would grow. And so he used this illustration. I thought this was pretty good. You can go to a nursery, Spurgeon says. You can buy a package of seeds. You then take them home and you put them up on a shelf. Package tells you that these these seeds will produce tomatoes within so many weeks. Great. So you wait, you wait. Times go by, many many weeks. It could be months. And the guy says, "Ah, I don't see any tomatoes. I'm going to take these back because this is inferior. I'm going to complain because I don't have any tomatoes. The seeds didn't produce any crop." The nursery clerk asked, well, when did you plant them? Plant them? (laughs) What are you talking about, plant them? You mean I have to plant these things? Well, there's no such thing as a seed that will produce a crop without being planted, right? So the gospel will not have any effect until it comes into contact with sinners. And if we want to reap a crop, we have to sow the seed of the gospel into the hearts of sinners. uh, Spurgeon pointed out uh, that the man sowed the plain seed. He didn't wrap it in gold leaf, as he's talking about the Scripture here now. He didn't wrap it up in some kind of fancy kind of thing. 
or dress it up, you know, in some manner. It was bare seed, bare soil. He threw it. Just put it out there. The point is, we don't have to add on to the Gospel to make it palatable for sinners so that they really want the Gospel because here's what they can get out of it. Although it's amazing they get eternal life out of it. Which is the best possible thing you could ever have. But they, first of all, have to hear bad news. They're sinners before a holy God. And you say, well, surely we can make that sound better. We don't want to use the word sin and that they're sinners because they'll probably just leave. It might make them mad. Yeah, it could be. We can add brilliant ideas and techniques and not ever present the Gospel. We put out our own seed and it has nothing to do with the Kingdom of God. Brilliant ideas. You know the Gospel... That's the seed. It's the power of God to salvation. What does Romans 1.16 say? It's amazing. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Well, the power of God is what the Gospel is about. That will convert a sinner, a lost sinner. It's only the power of God. And it shows the righteousness of God. Unbelievers don't know what a holy God really is. They don't know what a righteous God that He is. But it has such a power to convert one that they now see a holy, righteous, just God. It's revealed. And as you have faith in Him, He's the one that shows you who He is John Calvin said, two things you need to know. Know God. Know yourself. You know yourself that you are lost without God. And to know God is eternal life. For this is eternal life, that they may know God. The righteous man will live by faith. So we trust in Him. It's all part of the kingdom of God. That is what that is about. With all sin, Christ died for sinners, and we can receive Him as Savior and Lord through faith. It's so simple that children, the uneducated, can understand that. But yet it's so profound. We should be sowing this seed to our children. It's in the story of the father who gave it to his family, his daughter. She passes it on with her husband to their children. It's up to God 
to do the work in them, we know, but we still get the seed. He's the one that does the work. We can't do it. We just get it out there. All your acquaintances, your friends, people at work, strangers, that you get the opportunity, show that Jesus triumphs. Because that's the good news. You start with the bad news. You end with the good news. It definitely triumphs over the bad news, doesn't it? So we get into the seed of the Gospel accomplishes its intention. The man sowed the seed. It grew and became a tree. It's like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden and it grew and became a tree. At first that little seed seemed so small. It was so powerless. It had nothing about it that make one think that it's alive or has any power. What could it possibly accomplish? This little mustard seed. Well, it's not long till it starts producing a plant. A plant that's large enough to bring in birds who live there. So it is with the Gospel. It's a, you know, a lot of people would think it should have a dramatic beginning. The kingdom of God should have had all the lights going on. Laser lights. Music going on. Glorious. Smoke. Yeah, smoke. Yeah, there you go. Didn't have any of that. It was so little. So this is with this Gospel. The kingdom would begin invisibly. Have you ever considered the amazing power though of a seed? You could take seed of a tree, an oak tree, and its seed isn't that big either. Plant it real close to your house. I mean, right up next to it. Don't put it in a bucket or anything. Plant it right there. A few short years, you're going to start having problems. Because the roots of those trees go grow as wide as the branches and everything that extends out. So what happens a lot is after that little seed has grown to a bigger tree, it gets bigger, the roots start going into underneath the foundation and starting to mess up the foundation is not what we want to hear, is it? Or a sidewalk. Have you ever seen sidewalks? Sidewalks all buckled up. They have trees all around right there next to it. You say, wow, what happened here? You know, it's like that. You have to jump over the cracks that has been made in there. We've all seen those. That's the power of that little seed that does that. Uh, power. Seed of the Gospel. God uses the seed of the Gospel to impact and to impart a life. It transforms people from the inside out because they're all, we were all evil and wicked. Nothing good about us, the Bible says. We don't know how bad that is. We really don't. I'm glad we don't, but I'm telling you what, we do get a good sample of how evil this world is. Even in a garden, you see something that's so beautiful. 
and yet there are weeds that grow in there with it. Or something that's beautiful. You, ever, you always hear, okay, that's fantastic. But it seems like everything that is good, there's always something that's, okay, what's on the negative side? Give me the bottom line. If you want roses and beautiful roses, well, they got stickers. And they stick in you. They get these little bitty, speaking of smallness, you ever had a little bit, not a, just a thorn, it's something that you might have touched a rose and something gets stuck in there. Man, it's irritating. And it gets to you. Two days later, it's like, man, this is sore. You can barely see the thing. There's, oh, there's something black in there, I think. You know, you get out a magnifying glass. It's still small. I mean, you know, there's, it's a little fiber. You know, there's nothing to it. But yet it brings so much pain. It's in, you know, and penetrated into my skin. You have to dig and dig to get it out. Otherwise, it keeps getting more sore. I didn't have to think too long for that illustration because I was doing that last night and I was thinking, oh, a mustard seed. Well, this thing is probably as small as a mustard seed. Actually, it was a lot smaller. But it wasn't seed, but sure presented a lot of problems. Well, how powerful that is. The seed of the Gospel. I have to marvel at God's great power to transform lives. You know, you could take, you know, talking about seeds, you could take the best scientist in the world, give them all the money they need to do in their testing and, you know, just checking out what this is as far as analyzing seeds and checking out the DNA structure, figuring out, but they cannot construct a simple seed. And then a seed that would actually produce life and to come out as a plant. I've never heard of the greatest scientist in the world being able to do it. Do you know what? If they could, they would. Now they're doing a lot of stuff in uh, in the world. You know, other robots, for instance. Of course, automatic driving. You just sit back, you know, and don't even drive with your wheel. It, it makes me nervous myself to hear about that. Somebody on the on the road and they're not really paying attention. They're listening to the cell phone and they got their hands up like this, you know, driving down the road. Kind of weird, but uh, you know, speaking about this power, uh, see, man can't design life. Where does life come from? No man is ever going to be able to construct life. Only God can do that because He is life. Spurgeon points out no nation has ever been transformed from barbarism to culture through the writings of Plato, Socrates, the wisdom writers. The seed of the Gospel is so powerful it converts the chief of sinners. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. One who was very wise, who was very, very religious. The most godly of saints. And yet we know the powerful gospel and what it did with him. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.21.
verse 18 starts it off, For the Word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Go to verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The foolishness of the cross, foolishness of the gospel. Would you ever call it foolishness? Well, that's what the world calls it. They make fun of it. And so Paul says, yeah, this absolute foolishness, gospel, right? Right. Well, it converted Paul, it converted people in Corinth and in Athens people who were considered to be wise and all through the Gentile world, the gospel started growing. The birds, it says in back to Luke, the birds of the air nested in its branches in that mustard seed plant. Big enough to grow to that, this little bitty seed. Birds found shelter there the Gentiles probably is what this means. To find shelter in the gospel that was first given to the Jewish nation. Look in Ezekiel 17, verse 23. Looks familiar to what we're reading here. 1723. On the high mountain of Israel. I will plant it, that it may bring forth bows and bear fruit, become a stately cedar. And birds of every kind will nest under it. They will nest in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the high tree, exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree, make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will perform it. So, you know, he's really saying there's going to be more than you Jewish people. As we go through Ezekiel, we see that. Go through the prophets. It's not just the Jewish people, but the Gentile people. There are more, and they're going to rest in it. There's going to be Gentiles in the kingdom of God. It's kind of the idea. All people, nation, tribe, and tongues will be part of this kingdom started out as a little seed. Do you see the immense growth here that he's really talking about? You know, the church started out as something that was invisible. And look at it today. It's almost in every country. I think that's amazing. Jesus predicted that. He prophesied that. It is true. Amazing. God's means of accomplishing this purpose that He has is through His people. How foolish it is to take people who are really nothing and to take that precious gospel and to throw that gospel seed out. That's His means that He could have done it many other ways. He could have just said, Zap, you're a believer. Zap, you're a believer. What does He use? 
He uses us, the Word of God, to give it to people who are lost. Why does He do that? Why doesn't He use the angels to do that? Or just zap them? You know? No? Well, He uses us. The kingdom starts really, really small. Think about it for a moment. A little seed that is absolutely hard to see. It's small and it's tiny. Jesus was born in a stable in a little town. Bethlehem grew up in a a town that people really made fun of. Nazareth grew up there. Wasn't going to stay there. But this mustard seed Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God, still speaks about it all the way through his ministry. It's what it's all about. You might remember that as he grew up in his life, he was really basically from living in Nazareth to that's where he spent his 30 years. He didn't teach or preach, he didn't do any miracles during that time was little known. Nobody knew him throughout the nation of Israel. Rather remarkable. And then for three years he preached and taught the kingdom of God. Became very well known. He ministered in towns and villages and occasionally even in Jerusalem. He actually made a few converts. A few. Mostly from the poor. From people you would think. People who were Fishermen became his leading men to take this gospel out. Farmers, tax collectors. They weren't anybody from the elite. None of those kind of connections. You know what? He was killed at the age of 33. Something like that. That's a mustard seed. John 12. Really interesting right at the end of his ministry. In verse 24, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, a seed, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Do you see what he's saying to them? Shortly before it happens. That seed does no good unless you take it off the shelf. (laughs) You put it into the ground and bury it. It comes alive. And fruit bears out of that. What? What a statement that he made there. He's the seed. He is the seed. Unless the seed falls in the ground and dies, by it alone, what it does, it brings forth fruit. In the meantime, the kingdom is growing and growing and growing. You know, the kingdom of God is really growing, folks. That's what we love to hear about and to see. Go into the second one. Look at the seed. Back at Luke 13, verse 20. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? He's already stated that on the other one. Uh, Let me give you another illustration here. 
Well, it's like leaven, which a woman took, hid three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. Here's the parable of the leaven. This is internal. Now, we just saw the external, how the church has grown huge all throughout the world. Now, there's the internal aspect. And that's what he's going to illustrate here. The internal influence. That's the idea of leaven. The influence that it has. The point here is that it just takes a small amount of leaven. That's all that's needed to permeate a huge mass of dough. It just takes a little bit to get inside that. It's enough to feed a hundred people, as they say, because this amount here, uh, three pecks of flour, <coughs> most say that that would be like 50 pounds of flour. It's a lot of flour. But that wouldn't be that unusual because, you see, they made bread every day. They didn't go to the local grocery store and oh, I'll go up to Shuley's up there and pick up the bread. See, they made that every day. They knew about this leaven very well. Well, we do too. We know about mustard seeds, plant seeds. So we understand what he's talking about. They sure did. They got it. Just a small amount you put in there. It bubbles up, it ferments, permeates the whole amount, swells up, bubbles up, it expands. But the idea here is not outward, but inward influence. That's what the Gospel does. It comes in inwardly. So don't underestimate the Kingdom of God. You know what? He might have said something like this, we may not have much influence on the Jewish leaders. <clears throat> Did they? Well, he certainly wasn't. How about us? We may not have influence on some of the liberal socialistic democrats. They think a total different way. I use that because that's, that's an enemy of God's righteousness. They hate God. Most of them don't even think God exists. But you know what? We still are who we are. Whether they're influenced or not, the thing is we are an influence. And so therefore, we know that it's powerful, it's coming from God. So we may not have much impact on that realm. We may not have much impact on our state. We're still an influence. You know what? We may not even have much influence on the people around us. But you know what? If you live the Christian life, people are going to know it's something different. Now, they may not like it because it convicts them. But if you get an opportunity, that's even better, isn't it? To be able to tell why and what has happened to you. Your testimony is a great way to influence people. Sometimes it really perks people up. Hmm. They think about it. It isn't going to be very quick. 
But over time, this leaven made an impact on this dough, didn't it? And you know what? Sometimes we think of leaven, and most of the time in Scripture when it says leaven, we think of evil, don't we? And what, you know, just a little bad influence, what it does. Bad company corrupts good morals. So don't be hanging out with people who are unbelieving, evil, wicked people. Tell them the Gospel, they don't receive it, move on. Don't make them a part of your life if they are not influenced by the Gospel because they'll permeate you if you continue. The yeast here is this leaven. It really is what? It's good here. Because the bread that they have, that's, you know, they would have two kinds of bread. Unleavened bread, which we're very familiar with. When we take the Lord's Supper, what is that? It's called unleavened bread. You know, it's flat, has stripes, has little holes pierced through for our transgressions. By its stripes we are healed. It's flat, doesn't have any leaven, doesn't have any sin. That's the picture of Jesus Christ. It's one of the best pictures that we have of Jesus Christ. Look at a piece of unleavened bread. He is the Passover. He is the unleavened bread. But most of the time they ate leavened bread. Like we like leavened bread. You want to go around eating crackers the rest of your life with a hamburger? Can you imagine eating unleavened bread with it? Like with those big buns, you know, with the what the you know, just good bread, right? Well, Sorry about the gluten-free people. Sorry, they care. What's the deal? Well, leaven is not always a symbol of evil. I'll show you in Leviticus seven thirteen. They even used leaven with their sacrifices. Seven thirteen with the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall present his offering with cakes of leavened. Bread. Not unleavened, but leavened bread. So, you have to read the context to see this. And, and so, Jesus is talking about something that influences for the good. For this good bread. You know what? It parallels the mustard seed. The mustard seed is what? Small. Right? The leaven is small as compared to the dough. Pinch of leaven. It's not a problem to make that lump that is so large that it grows the smallness of Jesus, the smallness of this ragtag band of followers is no problem at all to God with regard to the worldwide spread of the Gospel. Who did He start with? Jesus. That's really all that's needed, but He says, okay, I'm going to be going. You guys are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and you're going to make an effect upon the world. They went out into the world and guess what? The rest is history. The church is still here today. Sometimes despite itself. Despite the world, despite the despicable, immoral acts that are upon us every day. 
in this nation, in this city, the smallness of a pinch of leaven. The power of God through the Gospel. You know what? Leaven must penetrate for power to be unleashed. Once the contact is made, the power works from inside out. There has to be contact. If you don't throw the seed out, what's going to happen? Zippo. If you throw the seed out, it doesn't always mean that there's going to be what you would like to see. But sometimes, God works in that heart to make that heart be transformed. The work of God. He transforms the hearts of sinners. When contact has been made, the power is unstoppable. You can't reverse the process. Once that leaven has gone into the dough, it goes in there and does its thing. The Gospel penetrates hearts for God has people to save. People that were already elected before the foundation of the world, as Scripture says. And it is going to be effectual to the ones who repent and believe. And these are the ones who God has chosen for salvation. And look in Romans 8, verse 29 and 30. This is called effectual. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So that He would be the firstborn among many brethren, that being Christ. And these whom He predestined, He also called. That's an effectual calling. And these whom He called, He also justified That's effectual. That means it will happen. Guaranteed 100% of those people who He's chosen before the foundation of the world, despite how they hate God, He will... He predestines. He calls... Those He calls, He justifies. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. All the way to the end. Our job knowing that He's effectual, you can say, well, if He's going to do it, He's going to do it. He doesn't have to use us. Well, that's right. He doesn't. But He does use us. That's one of the, part of the, one of the many aspects that church is involved with. Here's the kingdom. It starts off really small. We're small. But like a mustard seed, couldn't God make this thing grow? But how's it done? Gotta throw the seed out. If you don't throw the seed, you're saying, I'm gonna put it up here on a shelf and expect fruit to happen. <laughs> Remember that? As Spurgeon had mentioned out. Our job is to bring the leaven of the gospel into contact with the mass amount of humanity. <clears throat> that job is to save those whom he has purposed already to save. We don't have to do that. It's off our backs. Just put the seed out. 
Let Him do it. Did you know what? We influence the world. The church is doing it today. It really is. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Look at the history. We're still doing it. We don't see it. Sometimes it's invisible, isn't it? But the church is here. And it doesn't depend on the will of man, but the sovereign will to power God. Remember that you know that guy that throws the seed? You know what? He doesn't get any glory out of that. God does. He didn't do anything. He didn't bring life. You can say, well, he, he threw it out and then he watered it. He took care of it. Yeah, that's right. He was obedient, as the word goes there. But God is the one who gives life. The gospel, the work of the Spirit. Lives are being touched. Lives are being changed. Christianity isn't it's not just a big bush that's visible on the outside, is it? But it also is the real influence that's doing a work on the inside of people. We don't see that. All of you who are believers, do you know God has been working on your inside ever since you became a believer? And He'll continue to do it. He said, well, I've been going through quite the time and I ask about God's will constantly and I'm not seeing it. Why am I not seeing all the blessings that should be there? It's expanding. It takes time. It has to permeate. It's the real thing. It's the real deal that goes on in the inside, folks. He changes us. Christianity is advancing in name and visibility, but it also grows how? Inwardly. Invisibly. And Christians are hidden in that. We do want it to be seen. But you know what? Christians are the salt, the light. They are the leaven in this sense to permeate the society that we live in. God is working in us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these two simple parables that Jesus gave to encourage His followers then and now. I need it. I need encouragement. Because a lot of times I don't see it, I don't feel it. But You're working. Everybody here needs Your encouragement. They need to see what You're doing sometimes, but yet, even if we don't see it, Your power is still working in us and You're going to make us like the way that You have purpose to do. You are making us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we have victory and triumph through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And in His name, we pray. Amen.